Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, March 21st episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcasts on your preferred podcast platforms. Since December of 2018, Poets and Muses has been able to feature over 100 poets from eight countries on five continents, and we hope to continue to do that with your support. You can do that by going to poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate and donate via either PayPal or your preferred credit cards. This month, we have also launched the PAM Poetry Project in collaboration with District 4 Poetry. You can find more information about this project and the associated workshops and open mics at poetsandmuses.com forward slash events. With us today is Mira Dasgupta, with whom I will be discussing her poem, Blazing Cities, and my poem, When the Dead Returns to Say You Know Me. Before we turn to that, however, I'm going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of March 22nd. On Monday, March 22nd, from 8.15 p.m. Amsterdam time, Labyrinth will be hosting their weekly open mic. You can find out more information at labyrinthamsterdam.nl forward slash pound sign events. Again, that's labyrinthamsterdam.nl forward slash pound sign events. From 5 to 6.30 p.m. Arizona time, UA Comp Narrative Medicine and Health Humanities, Poets and Muses, and Revisionary Arts, established by Rosemary Dombrowski, the Phoenix Poet Laureate, will be collaborating to host the Poetry of Connection in Times of Crisis, which is a celebration of World Poetry Day. This will be featuring our past poet guests, Lydia Martinez, Hunter Hazelton, Lavina Singh, Austin Davis, and Dr. Tamika Sanders. You can find out more information and register for the event at poetsandmuses.com forward slash events. Again, that's at poetsandmuses.com forward slash events. From 8 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground We Play Clean open mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. On Tuesday, March 23rd, from 3 to 5 Eastern Daylight Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting its first draft open mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Sinister Wisdom and Lesbian Literary and Arts Journal will be hosting their Hot Talks 
lesbian, queer, in blackness with Cheryl Clark and Shakira Refos. You can find out more information at sinister underscore wisdom on Instagram. Again, that's at sinister underscore wisdom on Instagram. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, City of Asylum will be hosting their Latinx and Proud reading series featuring Rocio Carlos, Nico Amador, Rosina Conde, and Angel Garcia. You can find out more information at cityofasylum.org. Again, that's cityofasylum.org. From 6 to 8 p.m. Arizona time, the Virginia G. Piper Writing Center will be hosting their Veterans Writing Circle with Marco Pina. You can find out more information at piper.asu.edu forward slash veterans. Again, that's piper.asu.edu forward slash veterans. From 9 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground Replay Dirty Open Mic again via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's poets underscore playground underscore. On Wednesday, March 24th, from 6 p.m. Amsterdam time, Word Up Amsterdam will be hosting their Inspiration Factory writing workshop by Janice. You can find out more information and register at wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops html. Again, that's wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops html. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Cave Canem Poets will be hosting their first books featuring Cheswego Minfanza and Afa Michael Weaver. You can find out more information and register at caveconumpoets.org forward slash event. Again, that's caveconumpoets.org forward slash event. From 5 to 6.30 p.m., Pacific Daylight Time, the Asian American Justice and Innovation Lab will be hosting the fourth of its eighth session, A Poetic Envisioning of Our Collective Future with Carol Scott. You can find out more information by visiting facebook.com forward slash A-A-J-I-L dot org. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash A-A-J-I-L Org. From 8 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting their weekly poetry workshop with Beth Ruscio. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops html. Again, that's beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore workshops html. On Thursday, March 25th, from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Perth, Australia time, Making Magic Happen Press and Kelly Van Nelson will be hosting their Globalization Anthology launch event. Both myself and our past poet guest, Jeff Cottrell, will be among the feature readers. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash Four 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 six nine seven five four three two four eight four six five. 
Again, that's at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 444-697-543-248-465. From 7.30 p.m. Amsterdam time, WordUp Amsterdam will be hosting their WordUp edition slow poetry reading. You can find out more information and register at wordupamsterdam.weebly.com. Again, that's wordupamsterdam.weebly.com. From 9 p.m. Paris time, Paris Lit Up will be hosting their open mic. You can find out more information at parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. Again, that's parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Bowery Poetry and Haymarket Books will present Cheryl Boyce Taylor and Marcus and Marker in Conversation, moderated by Jive Poetic. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 126-158-886-112-655. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 126-158-886-112-655. From 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Los Angeles Poets Society will be hosting their One Mic, One Globe with Alex Petunia. You can find out more information at The Poetic Petunia on Instagram. Again, that's at The Poetic Petunia on Instagram. On Friday, March 26, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting its weekly Speak Your Truth writing workshop. You can find out more information and register by emailing the host Andrina Leanne on Instagram at survivor.andrina.leanne. That's survivor.andreena dot L-E-E-A-N-N-E. From 5 to 7 p.m. East African time, Open Mic Uganda will be hosting their physical event, Women, Power, and Poetry, featuring Gloria Kikonko, Afrootri, Bridget Ankunda, and Hawa K. You can find out more information at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 291-303-835-2. Four seven seven. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 291-303-835-840-477. From 7 p.m. West African time, Graciano and Warham will be hosting his Corona versus Open Mic via Instagram Live at Graciano and Warham. That's G R A. C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. Again, that's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. From 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Asian American Writers Workshop 
will be hosting their 2020 Margins Fellows and Mentors Reading with Sarah Tamkam Matthews, Joseph Lee, Emily Lee Luan, Imperatrice Ng, Carmen Maria Machado, Susan Choi, Mitchell S. Jackson, and Wendy Xu. You can find out more information at aaww.org forward slash events. Again, that's at aaww.org forward slash events. From 8 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Kaveh Kanam Poets will be hosting their new dreams, poems, and conversation with K. Ulande Barrett, Bernard Ferguson, Torin A. Greyhouse, and Khadija Queen. You can find out more information and register at kavekanampoets.org forward slash event. Again, that's kavekanampoets.org forward slash event. From 7 to 8.30 p.m. Arizona time, the Virginia G. Piper Center for Creative Writing will be hosting their NDA Big Read keynote, Bring Them Home, with Laylee Long Soldier, Patty Hibbler, Valaura Emus Nesohoya, and Agnes Woodward. You can find out more information and register by going to piper.asu.edu forward slash NEA hyphen big hyphen read. Again, that's piper.asu.edu forward slash NEA hyphen big hyphen read. On Saturday, March 27th, from 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Poetry Passport will be hosting its Writers' Workshop with the theme of forgiveness. And you can find out more information at the Poetry Passport on Instagram. Again, that's at the Poetry Passport on Instagram. From 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, the Root Slam will be hosting their virtual writing workshop for writers 18 and up only. You can find out more information at rootslam.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's rootslam.org forward slash calendar. From 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Pam Poetry Project will be hosting our themed open mic. You can find out more information at p3openmics.eventbrite.com. Again, that's p 3 openmics dot eventbrite.com. Three is a number three. From 9 to 11 p.m. Morocco time, Moroccan poets will be hosting their weekly open mic via Instagram live at Moroccan poets. Again, that's at Moroccan poets. On Sunday, March 28th, from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern daylight time, Pure Ink Poetry hosted by our past poet guest, Brandon Williamson, will be hosting their monthly poetry slam worldwide. You can find out more information and register at pureinkpoetry.com. Again, that's pureinkpoetry.com. From 2.45 to 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Mark Fishbein will be hosting his ShareFile Virtual Poetry Journal. You can find out more information at poetwithguitar.com forward slash events. Again, that's poetwithguitar.com forward slash events. From 5 p.m. Arizona time, 
Desert Diwata and Luya Poetry will be hosting the second of their two Are You There, Moon? It's Me writing workshop. You can find out more information at Luya Poetry on Instagram or Twitter. Again, that's Luya Poetry on Instagram or Twitter. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Mira Dasgupta. Hi, Mira. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So you brought with you the poem Blazing Cities. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thank you. So as you already heard, my name is Mira, and I'm a 16-year-old senior at Stuyvesant High School Mm -hmm. and the 2020 United States Youth Poet Laureate. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and currently I am still performing in this virtual space, and one of my most recent performances was for the Ford Foundation in the United States of Women, so it's very nice to meet all of you and you as well. Yeah, it's really wonderful. I'm so glad that Urban Word NYC offer this opportunity to young poets like yourself to also just be an ambassador for poetry in the greater world. So I'm really happy to hear you reading at different venues like the Four Foundation. I'm also grateful for that as well. And Urban Word NYC and the National Youth Poet Laureate Program. My other fellow youth poet laureates have also Yeah, I saw the event where they unveiled your name as the current National Youth Poet Laureate, and it was really heartwarming to see all of your works, um, all the finalists, and to see the amazing artistry that you all brought with you from various parts of the country. So speaking of you, uh, Mira, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into poetry? So in terms of Urban Words Day, and 
and then I became a finalist and we it was an amazing opportunity because it was a partnership between Urban Word NYC and actually the Climate Museum and they allowed us to perform at the Apollo and so many other places and after that I just continued writing and teaching now. Hmm, wow. How often do you teach? The most recent workshop that I had was Urban Word Summer Institute and it really hit close to home because I was actually in the Summer Institute last year. Okay. And that was when I was kind of finding, yeah. <laughs> That's when I was trying to find as many workshops and things as I could because after um, being one of the win winners of the competition I mentioned before, which is called Climate Speaks, I just wanted to continue to practice and I found Urban Word Summer Institute. And at the time, there were five other people, or five to six, and this year, I was able to co-facilitate with Roya Marsh to a class of 30 for a week. Hmm. That's really great. How do you like it, the difference between now that you're teaching and, and a year ago when you were on the receiving end of having this mentorship? I think it's different in terms of right now we're all in a virtual space. And last year, I was able to see everyone and everything was very visceral in that. But right. I think that... Teaching has been a growth as well, personally, in terms of my own writing and personal um, aspects as well, because I think that both writing and teaching, you either learn from yourself and you learn about yourself from others, and I think that that's something that's so empowering, and so I don't have a preference for either, because I really do love my students and writing alongside them, and I also do like sometimes just writing for myself as well, instead of having an audience, because as I've said so many times, it would be the means for growth and healing. So mm. I think that it was really nice to do both, and having such a supportive community as well from Urban Work and I see in my other cohorts to give me the opportunity to do both. Right, right. Yeah, I think there's something about teaching that makes you think about the process of doing anything that you're trying to teach that sometimes is hidden from you when you're just simply doing the thing. Yeah, I agree because during at least the workshops that I did, we would have prompts and I had to write lessons and these are lessons that I had to make so that the students would be eager to learn as well and seeing these lessons, it made me want to write. My, because I saw these prompts and it made me want to write based on the prompts that I had written to further my writing and just hearing at the end of each session when they would perform and one time we even had a group performance workshop mm -hmm. virtually which was very different. It was so amazing because I remember I showed a video to them and said this is an example for breaking voices of a group performing and they just took that and applied it to this space that we find ourselves in. That was inspiring. Mm. Yeah, I think it's really nice to, as you said, to see the reaction of the people that you are teaching in some ways and similar to doing a performance of your poetry to be a spoken word artist to get the f immediate feedback from people, which teaching also offers. Tell us a little bit about your first experience with poetry. You said kindergarten, was it? 
Yes, that's a very long time ago, but I have a specific memory of that. Like, at the time, poetry was a genre which our teachers would have us write projects about. We'd have creative writing projects, projects on history, and this was just another subject. But at the time, I didn't really think I was going to be a writer. Like, it's something that I thought of when I was younger that I was going to be, and I honestly at that point had no idea because when they hand us the pamphlets on check off the box about your future occupation or what you think you want to be when you grow up, and I honestly did not know. But I do remember that when writing poems in particular, I would try to make them rhyme and also acrostic, so I thought that, wow, this is so interesting. I can form a word and make lines out of these words and make them rhyme, and I kind of show them off because I thought it was very different and unique. Mm -hmm. And at the time, like third grade, I was in chorus and I started playing guitar and all these other creative factors were also within my life at the point. Mm -hmm. So I think that having all those things allowed and that amalgam of inspiration allowed me to become the poet that I am now and the person as well. Right, right. I think it's very interesting to see the connection between the music and the poetry because writing lyric and writing poetry is somewhat different, but there are some overlaps. So I'm, I'm guessing from what you said that you actually started in chorus uh, before, was it long before you started writing poetry? To an extent, yes, because poetry at the time was something that I did for school. It wasn't necessarily something that I did for myself. So with that, I think I knew of the genre, but at the time, it was something that wasn't completely on my mind as something that now is something that I do 24-7, or at least it's on my mind right. all the time. And I try to write as well wherever I can, but I think that chorus, I actually started when I was seven or eight, and mm. I continued throughout middle school, and now as a senior, I'm still in chorus, so it changed as I came to school, but it's something I just kept doing as well. Right, right. I would love to hear more about this. At the same time, I also want you to read your poem. So let's have you read your poem, Blazing Cities. Then we can talk about it and also come back a little bit to your personal history and journey with poetry. Blazing Cities. In order to rise from its own ashes, a phoenix first must burn. Octavia Butler, Parable of the Talents. Mama City is an overflow of scorching highways and peeling skins. Her incendiary prayer presses untutored spines against a playground where heavenly bodies become gasoline. The bark of the corner deli singes baby hairs and all that is doused in oil. Suns guzzle lighter fluid. Choke on seasoned air, set the boulevard ablaze with wax-laden bellies that hail themselves a bonfire. Between Necropolis and red brick oven, the city buries itself beneath a sheet of ash. Grease dribbles off of children's lips and sears golden vagabond black, hums their uneven gait, the foul-mouthed and gutter-born, the torch-strapped and hard-nosed babes stinking up the curb. Their smoke-stuck mouths blistering fatty, smoldering songs. 
For a meal, men ignite their own houses, spark matches to set on their copper-lined graves. Mama watches smiles melt in hearts crisp to turn humble. Oh, the carnal flames rise, fuel drowning already dead men. The dead men dead before the fire. Black men black before the flames. The city is the dead man stoking the embers upon which he lays. With all of his thousand small deaths to the fumes finally weak. Mama gazes outside of her window at a horizon of soot and sand. At the cinder collecting footprints below the fire escape. At her own lustful words. Has the fire always been this large? Or has it always been burned? Thank you. Wow. It's an amazing poem that has so much imagery. I, I was wondering, because you, you started telling me a little bit about how this was written, so if you could tell the listeners what inspired you to write this. So actually, there was this project, and I was telling you about this, but it was with Bob Holman, and it was based upon the prompt, Why Our Cities Are Burning. Mm -hmm. And it was a project that I did, and we recorded it before for um, a project as well. And I think that when I was reading the prompt, I saw the word burning, mm -hmm. and I thought to myself, in what way could I really portray that? And I went to a theosaurus because I wanted to make sure I had many, many iterations of the word burning and blazing. And I found so many as well, like scorching and incendiary, because that's a word that I recently found so many times when I was writing. And I thought it was interesting because I feel as if you can look outside and take inspiration from things that are happening right now. It was something that I also had to hold into consideration because I feel as if there are so many movements that are led by people and for people while people are also starting the issues which we need movements against. And I thought it was so interesting that cyclical nature of everything mm. and how there's more than two sides of a coin and there's so many gray areas in terms of the world and society and how everything's happening right now, especially in self-isolation. It's given me time to actually examine different facets that I would have never thought of. And I think I just took them all and tried to put them into a poem that spoke about one person's experience in relation to many. Hmm. Well, tell us a little bit about this person's experience and also the, the many shades of gray that you alluded to. First of all, who is the central character of your poem? I feel as if this, I do things and change depending on interpretation. I wrote it in the perspective of a woman and also in particular that he was talking about this mother as well mm -hmm. and I think it's very interesting especially having the imagery of this woman standing and seeing all this destruction that's happening and wondering when the fire will finally die down or if it ever will mm -hmm. and there's also the imagery of a phoenix so I felt as if it was interesting to come from that perspective Mm -hmm. of seeing this woman at her window, seeing all these cinders of 
these people stoking the flames. So I thought it was something that is open to interpretation because I know that someone may think of motherhood as perhaps Mother Earth and how Earth, like in terms of climate change, is burning in terms of how people have been talking about that or perhaps even in terms of the issues and how, especially for many women, the issues right now have a different intersectional approach when you look from another viewpoint. So I thought at the time, I'm not really completely sure where it came from in terms of my thought process other than it's something that just felt so ingrained with it, experience and how I'm in the world right now, or at least at that point right now. A lot of things are uncertain and are constant. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, there is definitely that sense of mutation, the sense of devastation, and sense of uh, instability in, in the poem. And also the, the way you ended it, the I- idea that perhaps the fires were always burning, that it's just that maybe we never noticed it. And certainly didn't notice how large they were. Again, going back to the areas of gray that you mentioned previously, do you have specific passages in the poem that you think of that points to those gray areas? In the poem, when I'm talking about how suns guzzle lighter through a choke on seasoned air, set the boulevard ablaze with blasted valleys that held them from the bonfire, and then again, the city is a dead man stoking the embers upon which he lays. And I mentioned this before, but it feels as if at the time I was thinking about how the city is burning and yet we continue to stoke the flames and in different ways. And I think that that can be interpreted as well because though some people are stoking the embers in order to save the city, which is why I included a quote about a phoenix rising from the ashes because it first burns, but then it something even more beautiful than before and becomes alive mm. and I think that that's where the gray areas come from because at what point are we going to get to before we can start to save ourselves or at least replenish the city because right now there's so many people so many archivists and students and even frontline workers who are at the front lines and who are doing things in order to combat different viruses because there is more than one in my perspective considering mm-hmm. societal constructs right now mm-hmm. that seem to be forging certain divides. I think that in order to start coming back from where we are right now, we also have to recognize the fact that intrinsically and individually we have to confront these different narratives that were a part of our lives and that we continue to abide by but never question. So I think that it's important that we not only try to form communities and to continue to move and activate with other people, but to also look within oneself because perhaps one is stoking the fires upon which the same person may be dying, so to say, as I wrote metaphorically in the poem. Right, right. Uh, both sections that you just quoted, both imageries talk in some ways or allude to in some ways this idea of self-destruction. And if we think of society as a metaphor, as a person, 
then certainly there are aspects of ourselves that do cause our own destruction, do cause the destruction of our society. Yeah, I took a woman and gender studies class at Hunter College a couple of months ago, and I recently took a philosophy class at Queen's College. And I think that the intermingling and just being able to take these classes, because in New York we have the privilege to do so, he's in college now, mm-hmm. but was something that allowed me to really expand my horizons in terms of certain words and their meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote an essay on Spinoza and free will and how it exists within society. I remember reading so many different texts on words and how these meanings have been forged by social constructs or by or where they originated from. So that was also an interesting study to do. Mm. In New York is a polyglot city, but at the same time, the dominant language, the language that that's lingua franca, that everybody speaks the common language, is English. And with English comes this very long and sordid history, as with any, really, any language. It just, there's the good and the bad. I actually recently talked with another poet about the perpetuation of certain imagery, Western-dominated imagery. And if we don't actually think about the words we use and where they come from, we inadvertently perpetuate certain societal structures as well and stoke the fires, to borrow your metaphor, that we are being burned on. Yeah, and I did a research proposal at Stuyvesant for a research class I was taking in the social sciences on linguistics and how language can affect people's perceptions as well. And when you're talking about culturally hegemonic narratives, I was thinking about how, especially in other countries, there's so many, the access to books and in terms of other forms of writing may be limited to that of Western cultures. And I was watching someone make a speech on this and how it affected her when she was younger because all she was fed were these sorts of narratives and it made her long for a culture that wasn't necessarily hers. So... And later on, she grew from that after traveling and such, but it's just the perpetuation of certain languages, especially something that I'm trying to make sure is now, especially in this virtual space, I try to make sure my pronouns are visible and that to an extent I can try to make sure to confront what I'm saying because in some ways we do things subconsciously in terms of words that you may not even think you're doing, like something that I think like ableist narratives or something that are very large within, within society right now and being able to be accessible, especially onto when for my performances in particular, there are visuals and people are on the screen. And now I try to describe my clothing as well and what I'm wearing or how my hair is because I want to make sure, especially if there isn't closed captioning, that I can try my best to describe what's happening on screen. Right, right. Another poet that I interviewed who is a disability activist, we we were talking about this uh, physical distancing and inadvertently the positives that came out of it of being able to have physical aids available to her um, that were not available previously because of the pandemic. 
So it's kind of interesting to see some of these positive aspects, such as being able to zoom to different countries to read your poetry or to consume other people's poetry. Even if it's still done in English, uh, it still offers a different perspective. And again, the visual aids that are possible now because of the fact that we are suddenly so reliant on remote access on uh, internet. So all of these interesting things make us kind of see some of the invisible things that or discriminations that we weren't even aware that we participated in. Yeah, and a lot of movements are actually happening on social media because it's become something that is allowed for greater change and awareness. And though um, consuming the news primarily on social media is something that can be dangerous in terms of spreading of misinformation, it does allow for large audiences to see certain things and allow for people to speak about issues that they have not been able to do so before. But I remember also at the beginning of, of self-isolation that I was thinking about how many people actually do not have access to computers or phones. And um, I know that schools have been providing such, but there's also a privilege to be able to um, self-isolate and have equipment available to spread one's opinion and to include information. So it's something that I've just been cognizant about well. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. This is one of the things that has been a, a problematic in, even in the nonprofit world. The muting of, the inadvertent muting of people whose voices, who actually some nonprofit organizations are trying to serve, yet because of certain structural elements, such as something like unpaid internships, for instance, it really just serves as a, as a hurdle for people from certain communities to be able to participate in the very work that is supposed to help uplift them. And similarly, as you just pointed out, in this computer internet dominator world, not having a steady internet connection, not having a um, smartphone that can access internet, not having a laptop that can access internet are all really serve as hurdles to block people's access, to block people from taking part in the social change that we want to see for them and for ourselves. Um, I think that going off of that in terms of accessibility, accessibility in terms of the elections, um, it's something else that I've seen that needs help in terms of being more accessible to communities and people because with online voter registration, especially in New York, you need an ID, a state-issued ID in order to register. And for young people especially, um, it's something that has become a really large issue. And I know that there's so many other ways that People are being barred from voting, which is, I think, a very large problem, especially now, because I do believe in the importance of voting. And, but I also noticed that it is a privilege and that we do have to go deeper than that because there are systemic issues that go beyond just a vote. And they need to be fixed because, as seen by the accessibility of the vote, there are communities that 
still need a lot of help in that way. Yes, and also even going back to what you said before, the access to information, right? If you don't have the internet at your fingertips or readily at your fingertips, and now the libraries are closed, people can no longer go there to take advantage of free internet that a library offers, you know, at whatever times that they are still open. Again, another public service that's been cut or being cut and now because of COVID that necessarily is unavailable to people. So even if we do have access, if even if we can guarantee access to everybody in the vote, how can we also guarantee that people have access to the information, to reliable information to learn more about the candidates who are courting their votes? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And in terms of the artists leading during this time, I feel as if something that I've been thinking of is how to reach out to people as well and make sure a priority is safety, though, because uh, I'm upstate right now and there aren't too many people here, so it wasn't as bad as I saw what was happening in Queens or Rigo Park in particular because there were many, many people outside while here there's perhaps only one or two or Mm -hmm. just a couple of so it's very different and I think that especially in terms of art youth is a sense of pace as well because when reaching out to people though media has been a way in which people have been able to spread their creativity and inspire others I know people who are also trying to find other ways to reach the people who may not have internet access and I know that in terms of other nonprofits, they've been working to get food to people during this time and trying in many different ways. And it was just so amazing to see how communities have started to work together homogeneously in order to ensure the safety of the community as a whole. Yeah, I think seeing that aspect, seeing people come together has been amazing and heartwarming and does give you hope for our future, both our immediate future and and further down the road. Going back to your poem, the beginning of your poem, and also some of the what you talked about just now, this Octavia Butler quote about having to burn before becoming the phoenix, becoming transformed into a more more beautiful creature, I guess more um, magical creature in in some ways, because the phoenix is a, a mythical creature. At the same time. Not knowing, you know, the your poem is mostly still about the burning process. Part of it is also we don't know at what point, as you pointed out, we don't know at what point the burning, the destruction stops and the rebirth begins because it's not a clearly delineated point, you know, in time. It's not like... You can say, oh, 2022, February, whatever, this is the date, this is the time we're going to start rebuilding again. We can't say that when it comes to society because different people have their different ideas about what is okay, what is tolerable, what still needs to be dismantled. This is part, partly why I responded to you with my poem which is called When the Dead Returns to Say, You Know Me. 
because I feel like my poem in some ways pick up where yours stop. It's more about a rebuilding process, not necessarily the rebuilding process, but a rebuilding process for a particular group of people. So I'm going to read that. I was just going to say when I read it, it really did felt like a poem of healing as well. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. So I'm going to read that now and then, then we can talk about it. The metallic smell was overpowering. I felt like it was my duty to clean it, he said, out of respect for the victim, out of respect for the city and the people. The Circle City was waking up. The morning sunshine tinted the destruction golden. The shards of shattered windows winked in the light. Graffitied buildings declared, I can't breathe. Jafari scrubbed. It's one thing to see the violence on TV, another to hear it in your own neighborhood, and something else altogether to kneel in someone else's blood. Jafari is the managing partner of the nearby colonial apartments. George Floyd can't happen again, he said. We're all just trying to put things back together. Pouring more ammonia, he said. I wipe it down, but it never goes away. When he gathered his things to go home, the stain was lighter, but still there. He looked down and saw that he'd carried the dead man's blood home with him. That Sunday night, he got a text from the property manager at Colonial Apartments. A tenant was missing. Chris Beattie had a huge smile and a million friends, and Jafari became one of them. Jafari teared up. He returned to the grocery store and bought a heavy-duty brush with thicker bristles. He picked up a bouquet of daisies. He knelt again beside the stubborn stain. He started to scrub. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that with me as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. Like I said before, it really did, like you said, felt like a poem of almost rebuilding, like you said, but also getting up back on your feet in a way. Mm-hmm. Because when I was reading it and seeing it, it was almost as if this narrative would be told and the aspect of the stain getting lighter and looking down and seeing someone carrying this dead man's blood home with him. And normally home is seen as a place of comfort and one, it's not very close to home right now, especially because we are all in our own homes or within our own spaces and we're kind of carrying all of this news and what's happening around us within our comfort spaces and trying to think how to cope with that as well and at least for the person you mentioned within this poem there was a decision that was made at the end to keep on scrubbing instead of just letting the stain stay as light as it was but instead trying to remove it completely so I thought that that was a very nice 
aspect, but I was wondering how you came up with this and if there were any images that you wrote and were very particular to something that had inspired you as a poet or perhaps in the news as well. Well, ironically enough, this is actually one of those poems that uh, where I wrote very little. Most of everything that you read in, within the body of the poem comes from an article originally published by the Indie Star. I, I would say the most that I've written in this poem is the title itself. All the lines of the poem, the body of the poem itself, come from an article written by Mary Claire Malloy. So this is a found poem. And what, yeah, and the article itself was just so poignant that it had a incredibly strong effect on me, as you might imagine as a fellow poet. And the fact is, when I read to the point of the article where she wrote, the circle city was waking up, the morning sunshine tinted the destruction golden. The shards of shattered windows winked in the light. As soon as I read that, I thought, there's a poem in there. And so I started pulling quotes from the article. And then just through uh, editing and re-editing, I changed the order of things and mashed some of the lines together. And I'm happy to send you the link to the article, which I, when it became syndicated, I read in USA Today. I was just going to say thank you for sending it because as soon as you said it was a found poem, my mind was completely blown because having done a found poem within my English class actually this semester, the last semester, it was it was really interesting to see how it came together for you in terms of an article as well. Yeah, yeah, I have. I really have to credit the journalist again. Uh, her name is Mary Claire Malloy, who wrote all of the words in the body of the poem that I basically rearranged and, and edited to to put together this poem. You know, to me, it was so incredibly significant because it is about uh, again not necessarily the entire Phoenix as a society, as an American society coming into being, but at least the attempt to come together, the attempt to uh, rebuild for uh, the Circle City, which is Indianapolis. And uh, in the process, also revealing the unfortunate and untimely death of another black man, young black man, uh, during the protests. And the reason why I named the poem what it is, which is when the dead returns to say, you know me, is that I felt what really grabbed my attention in her particular Mary's article was the idea that Jafari, even though obviously he he's a very caring person within Indianapolis community, and obviously he he had already wanted to rebuild at the same time, the fact that he found out that he knew this person whose blood he was cleaning made him double his efforts. And it made me wonder about what it takes for us as a society, as a whole, talking about just the U.S. 
but also world society, as human society, as a whole. Do we honestly need to get to the point where we each have to know a victim as a friend in order to double our efforts, to put in the effort that is needed to really rebuild, to really heal the wounds that we have? Yeah, and I agree because a lot of times, especially now, movements are fueled by people who may not know where others are coming from but still show up for them, which I think is so powerful. And people who are brave enough to stand up and say that despite not knowing, as you said, a friend or someone who's going through this, I still stand for it and stand for you. And I think that it was especially interesting that um, you turned a news article into a poem because then you have to consider how much are the news or how much of um, how many articles and books can be turned into poems and how would how consumption works in terms of um, what we were choosing to read in order to learn about the world and educate ourselves. So that was something that struck me in particular, how you took an article and formed it into an artistic and creative way of just making it known and making this story known. I think another question for you was, how do you see the future as well? Because I think that I was reading this poem and I felt like, especially at the end when it talked about kneeling beside the stubborn stain and he started to scrub. So how do you think that we can all continue to activate, especially during this time, for people and to, as you're talking about, rebuilding? So I don't think me as an individual person can tell society how to rebuild. At the same time, I do have strong opinions as to some of the processes we should be putting in place because I personally think that we need to hear as many people as possible in terms of getting a better idea of how to rebuild our society as a whole. One of the things that I hope that we will continue to have after COVID is gone, we have a vaccine and everything's safe and we go out again, is to continue having these Zoom or whatever virtual, virtual meetings so that we can overcome our physical barriers and physical limitations and reach out to people from across the country, the world, what have you. Again, to have these, um, you know, if possible, to have these town halls where we could just talk with each other and get as much input as possible on where people see the problem is and how everybody's ideas uh, or many people's ideas of how to rebuild. I think only then can we really overcome the problem of allowing only few people's ideas to come to fruition. And again, because of the um, limitation of perspectives to address as many issues that we have in society as possible. Yeah, I definitely agree. I was actually recently in a hearing testifying 
time um, on experiences about, like I was talking about before on voting. So that, that was what I was speaking on. And they allowed me to testify using a poem. So in, on that note, I just wanted to ask, um, how do you see poetry as a medium of spreading information, especially um, in a virtual space or um, through social networks and stuff? So I was wondering how you see that, especially coming from a poem that you wrote about um, based upon an article. I think one of the really uh, wonderful things about poetry, one of the most valuable aspects of poetry and writing in general, but poetry especially because we're working within a limited space. Uh, we offer a very brief view into uh, a feeling, a scenario, a happening, whatever you have. Because we're doing that, we have to really try to get people to pay attention to it as much as possible without setting itself on fire. <laughs> Sometimes people do, you know, metaphorically speaking, set its own poetry on fire by writing, as it were, in all caps. But I think what we do is we are able to use our creativity to try to get people to relate to our experiences through the use of various parts of speech, you know, synonyms, adjectives, metaphors, similes, all of these um, writing devices. So I, I think that's why poetry to me is so special is that because it used these devices, it is able to offer a view to others who even might not agree with us to look at our writing and say, oh, that's interesting, and to be engaged with it. And I think one of the most important things of coming to an agreement with somebody you maybe, whose thoughts or whose philosophies you might even find repugnant is to find the common ground, uh, find shared interests. And so uh, poetry in some ways allows you to do that because sometimes it doesn't say things in the most straightforward fashion. And in that way, it allows people to engage from different angles. I was on social media recently, and I think that's something that has become quite popular, is not only um, recording oneself, um, speaking the poems and visuals in terms of that, but also short-form form poetry has become something that has grown, especially within um, social media and such. I was just wondering how poetry, if it has, have there been a sense of evolution and adaptation when it comes to writing within a virtual setting? Because I know that personally I've had to get used to seeing myself and recording on screens a lot. And obviously that was one of my pet peeves before, having to watch and film myself. Mm -hmm. But now it's something that I have to do almost on a regular basis. So I was wondering if there was any similar experiences for you or anything else that may align with the topic. I think as um, you know, you as a performance poet, you you might have a leg up than other people because performing a poetry piece is something that you are used to doing. The recording aspect, obviously, is is an added uh, element because we don't 
really know exactly how we sound to other people because we both literally and figuratively live within our heads in terms of the sound of our own voice because we hear it internally uh, vibrating within our skulls. So it sounds very different from when you record it and then when you watch the recording because it sounds the sound waves are traveling in a different space so it just sounds different so in that um, it is similar to you sometimes i wonder why people have the reaction they do to my voice because i don't hear what they're hearing i you know we literally don't hear the same voice as what other people are hearing us talking um, so that's a that's an interesting experience. So I think I share that with you. When I watch myself being recorded, I can still sort of see how, again, my perception of myself, of my actions, of my body movement is different when I'm watching it. So again, there is a squaring. Uh, you have to kind of square your perception with what other people see. And the distance is not the same for each person because some of us have a better I guess a better alignment between how we perceive ourselves and how other people perceive us and some of us don't part of it has thing, having to do with the fact that we're not symmetrical like this our bodies are not per, very few of us are I don't think anybody is perfectly symmetrical so what we see in the mirror is always different so and I think that reflects onto society as a whole, right? Because there are people who hate hearing other people accusing them of behaving a certain way, of being a certain way. And I think if we realize that sometimes that could be a genuine reaction because it's shocking to have a perception of yourself and and then to hear other people's perception of you. I think we, if we realize that that's something that's within everyone, that maybe when we do try to convince people that we disagree with of things that we believe in, if we can show uh, our concern for their humanity a bit more, maybe we don't end up having this like shouting at each other, whether that's, you know, via typing capital letters or or actually shouting in each other's faces. I agree in that. And also going off of the same question, I was wondering, because I know that posts um, and music, um, you host that as well. So I was wondering if that also changed some perspective within self-isolation because you're able to speak with so many poets as of now and speak with different people of different communities. So I was wondering, has it impacted you or has um, self-isolation shifted your perspective in any way or in terms of adaptation to this? I think definitely because now, like most of our interviews are done uh, remotely. And before I only did remote interviews when it was impossible for me to get to a place. And there are uh, obvious challenges that goes with that, which I'm sure you have experienced as well, just being on Zoom because there are delays. And also depending on both the location of each person and uh, also the quality of our internet connections. So it has definitely made me change the way I interview a little bit uh, to be a little bit more 
descriptive with people, just as you have done thinking of accessibility of different able peoples. So uh, in terms of going into different communities, because again, I wear masks when I'm doing live interviews for personal safety concerns, I, um, I feel like, uh, or maybe it's just my perception that um, it's harder to connect with people because again, you don't see the entire person. You just see sometimes their faces or, you know, even not the entire face in my case. So for communities who have been experienced multi-generational discrimination, for instance, I find already this lack of trust of uh, so-called outsiders. But when it comes to trying to relate to each other in this day of physical distancing, the trust is even more difficult to build. And just having the interviews themselves, it's a little bit more difficult, I feel, reaching the person to the depth that I have been able to reach when I am talking with someone face-to-face, when I'm just sitting uh, near them uh, when we're interviewing. So there is definitely um, the feeling of distance, not just the physical, but the emotional distance. Yeah, there is definitely a disparity, but I think it's also allowed me to speak to people who I don't think I would have been able to speak to unless I had this virtual speech space, which is why I agree with you that we should kind of continue this as well, because especially talking to people from other countries like Um, For the past four weeks, I was in this research program where I was speaking to kids who were from all over the United States and um, other countries, and it was so interesting to work with them, especially at different times. And I think that something that has made me very empowered during this time, especially having so many people who are poets being able to reach out and just helping each other. And I was wondering if you know any groups or books that you think that I should know about in order to support or uplift because I just wanted to be able to know and expand my horizons even more so. I wish I could recommend my books to you because I just don't have the time to read books as I like to. I would love to read more books, frankly, but most of what I read now is news and, and um, or, or some research articles uh, or, you know, uh, Googling reliable resources like academic articles and such. So I don't particularly have books to recommend. In terms of events, I do announce poetry events taking place every week, and some of them are one-off events. Uh, one of the things I try to do, especially now that we have this privilege, as you mentioned, and we both agree with, is the access to events around the world, events uh, all over the country as well. So I try to offer a diversity of events so the people who are interested, and I hope they are, can listen to poets read, poets from different communities read. It's great to have that option to be able to just visit open mics from uh, wherever and to kind of get a glimpse of the diversity of voices that's out there. Yeah, definitely. And I think that going 
asked when we were talking about social media and that it's also important to reach out to individuals because I know that um, at least some people that I know were, were releasing books during self-isolation. Like I know that Roya Mars had a daylight and um, she was one of my co-facilitators during the Summer Institute and she released that book and I know that there's so many people who have mutual aid funds and there are people reaching out on there as well. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. And I think it's also just as pertinent that we are able to spread resources because I that's something that I've been trying to do because it's, I think that it's something that you can do. You should try to do because you never really know who you're going to help with these resources. And I know that the National Youth Poet Laureate Program and the three other national ambassadors and I, we were able to compile resources for people during self-isolation in response to the Black Lives Matter movement and how so many people needed resources. So that was one thing that we were able to do. And I know that there's so many other young activists out there who have very powerful platforms which they've also been using to uplift narratives. And I think that something that's so important, especially now, is to do so. Because as you're talking about, it's definitely something that we have to do because their voices are just as important. And now that we are on on a virtual space, though there is a sense of erasure, there's also a privilege that we all have as individuals to be able to use our own platforms and our resources to help others and to raise their voices and opinions in a way. So I think that it's a way in which we can have a relationship of um, a mutual, like I was talking about, mutual help or mutual aid. And I think that's something that we can look to in order to, as we were previously talking about, build. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And that's why I also use the Poets and Muses and also my personal platforms to transmit information like mutual aid, for instance, either your local Black Lives Matter chapters or the national one and um, various different readings from different community groups. I think, again, as you said, you never know who might be in need that might see those messages and might find them useful. So I think it's very um, noble of you and the other finalists to use your platforms for that, for that social good. So I really appreciate that. And yes, the people who, <laughs> I also obviously use the Poets and Muses um, social media platforms to promote news and happenings with our past guests who has, uh, a number of them have launched chat books as well, just as you mentioned about Royal Marsh. In every newsletter, we definitely talk about all these happenings with our alumni poet guests, among which you will be one. So uh, just to conclude, can you please tell us if you have any favorite open mics that you go to that you suggest for listeners to join as well? and also where people can follow you, your social media or website and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. So I know that 
for her fact that Urban Word has many open mics, especially on Tuesdays, I believe. And it's called First Draft. And you just you can go there with any form of art that you have, whether it's spoken word or singing, or it's something that you wrote, or you just want to talk to a community of like-minded individuals. So it's very informal in that it's a space which is safe for you to express your feelings or whatever you have at the time and even just bringing in yourself you can listen to all these amazing people from New York City and now beyond due to the fact that it is completely virtual and it's one that I definitely recommend and in terms of social media you can follow me at Miradaskupta Official on Instagram Miradaskupta on Facebook or LinkedIn and Add one from Spices on Twitter, which I sometimes use in order to talk about news or spread resources. And just one final reminder to everyone who's listening is just to be gentle with yourself because I know that right now there's so many things happening and there's this idea that we all have to be completely productive, but I think that no matter what, you should be open to learning and growing and finding new things in a space that you may have lived in for so long or perhaps it's new but know that there's always something there for your future and within yourself so just thank you once again for having me thank you as well for taking the time to talk with me i really appreciate it as always you can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on instagram and twitter under poets and muses you can also subscribe to the Poets and Mises newsletter either at poetsandmises.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Mises SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Mises website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Mises podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week. And I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.